Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Today's episode is brought to you by Samsung POS, a new payment acceptance solution by Samsung Canada. The easy-to-install app was developed for small business owners and micro-merchants, allowing them to accept contactless payments on the go directly through Samsung Galaxy NFC-enabled devices, all without additional hardware. Black Friday and Cyber Monday are here, along with the onslaught of advertising. We know this shopping holiday, and the holiday season in general, is a massive event for major retailers. But what about for the entrepreneurs navigating e-commerce? I'm Emily Jackson, and you're listening to Down to Business. For the next two weeks, we'll keep talking retail because, hey, it's that time of year. This week, we're joined by Shopify Chief Operating Officer Harley Finkelstein. Ottawa-based Shopify sells an e-commerce platform for retailers large and small. If Amazon is building an online empire, Harley said Shopify sees itself as arming the rebels. So far, Shopify has grown explosively this year, making it one of Canada's big tech success stories. I spoke with Harley by phone from Montreal. I want to talk to you first about Black Friday, Cyber Monday. This massive annual event is coming up. Shopify conducted a survey about the season and found that Canadians are expected to spend about 450 bucks each. And 89% of Canadians plan to shop online or shop online and in stores. How big of a deal is this shopping season to independent merchants that use Shopify? It's, it's a really big deal, but, but let's sort of zoom out before we kind of zoom in for a second. I think one of the things that is, is happening, and, and certainly this upcoming Black Friday, Cyber Monday season will be even more so from the case, we're seeing a ton of these independent brands skip over the intermediaries and go direct to consumer. And we're seeing consumers more so than ever decide and select going direct to the, the brands themselves as opposed to go through an intermediary. And I think this idea of this direct-to-consumer fad um, that some people believe it's a fad, I actually think this is a steady state now. I think that the future of retail will be direct-to-consumer, where incredible people, entrepreneurs, small businesses make incredible products, and they sell them directly to the actual consumers of those products. I think the reason that this Black Friday, Cyber Monday is so exciting in particular is that we've been flirting with this DTC paradigm shift for many years now. But it feels like in 2019, it is very much here. And you're seeing this in a whole bunch of different ways. This past week, there's a big news story that Nike is actually pulling their products out of Amazon and they're going direct. But we've seen companies like Allbirds or Bombas or Kylie Cosmetics or Manitoba Mucklucks go direct to consumer for many years. And that was sort of a unique business model. And I think more and more we're seeing that as being the steady state business model for the future retail. Now, Amazon, you know, obviously the opposite of that. It's come to our marketplace. All sorts of third parties sell there. So you get that volume of people instead of that direct brand relationship. Amazon's still expected to capture about 40% of the e-commerce market in the States this year. I'm wondering why you are bullish on that direct-to-consumer model right now. I think for a long time, brands and entrepreneurs required listing products on a marketplace, um, which led to them effectively renting customers from that marketplace because developing an audience was really quite challenging. It was expensive. It was difficult. And I think what you're seeing now is that these entrepreneurs, these small businesses, these brands 
are having a much easier time finding their audience directly, whether it's through social media or it's through content or it's through influencers or it's through just really better, more more sophisticated, easier to use, excuse me, digital marketing like Facebook ads and Google ads. And so that requirement to list on a marketplace in order to get in front of an audience is, is, is a lot less than it is than it was years ago. And so now for $29, you could build a store on Shopify. You could build a beautiful business uh, selling online or offline if that's what you want. And then you can go attract your own consumers. And that means that you own the relationship with the end consumer. You own the profit margin. And from a, a strictly um, an experience perspective, the experience is so much richer when you're buying from the people that made the product as opposed to buying on some third-party marketplace who's selling you detergent and toilet paper and paper towel and, and, and all types of stuff and may also be selling you Nike sneakers. I think when I want to buy a pair of Nike sneakers, I want to buy directly from Nike because I think the experience there has been tailored for that particular product. Right. So it's that commodity versus specific branded item. That said, you know, how do these smaller independent businesses, I know they can attract their micro audiences, their niche markets using social media, using Facebook, using Google, but how difficult is it for them to stick out and break through the clutter around these big shopping events? You know, can they even use the steep discounts that are available to the larger retailers that are able to attract people with those door crasher deals? I think that entrepreneurs are inherently incredibly resilient and incredibly resourceful. But I think the best part of what you're describing is that if you go back 10, 20, 30 years, the thing you needed to attract customers was capital. You needed to have a store in a very fancy mall or a very fancy downtown location, which was expensive. Or if you were uh, you know, a large, a large brand, maybe you bought television ads or radio ads, which were also really expensive. And what I think has happened to retail and generally is that it's been democratized. So that if I'm selling a particular product, I actually don't necessarily need capital. I actually need creativity. I need, I need to work hard. I need to uncover or discover where my community of potential customers are hanging out. And maybe they're hanging out on Instagram or on Pinterest or on Facebook, or maybe they're hanging out on looking for things on, on uh, searching on, on Google, or maybe they're uh, at a really cool pop-up store or a downtown farmer's market. But the idea, and I think what Shopify has done dramatically, uh, and, and I think what we've done really well is we've given these brands and these entrepreneurs an easier path to go ahead and find those customers. Uh, when I was in, in law school in 2005, I was one of Shopify's first merchants. I was selling t-shirts. Effectively, I spent all of my money that I had. I didn't, have, I didn't have very much money. I was a poor student. But whatever money I had, I spent on, on AdWords at the time because that was the most effective way for me to drive traffic to my online store. And that worked well, um, but I was never going to pay as much on AdWords or advertise as much as a brand like uh, or a store like Walmart might. Whereas today, I don't actually think I would be using paid ads as, uh, in the same way. I think actually what I would try to do is I try to figure out who and, and where were people talking about t-shirts online. Are they on Instagram talking about interesting t-shirts on a particular product page or a particular hashtag? Are they on Twitter having a conversation about how t-shirts have, have changed or how screen printing has evolved? I was selling licensed t-shirts, so Batman, Spider-Man, Superman. I would try to find communities of people, maybe on Reddit, where people are talking about the new superhero movies. And I would try to engage with them there in a way that didn't necessarily cost me a lot of money, but really required me to be really creative. And I think that in itself is so different. And it means that you can start a store at your mom's kitchen table and very quickly over a couple of years, you can become the industry leader. And we see that every day across Shopify's million stores. So I think, I think things have really changed, but it is, as you said, it's still not easy. It's still challenging to do that and anyone can do it. So a lot of people do try their hand at entrepreneurship, but we see brands you know, on a daily basis emerge as being category leaders that didn't exist a year before. 
I know you recently hit that 1 million merchant milestone, which is interesting because based on your survey, about 40% of Canadians want to purchase from independent businesses this holiday shopping season. 54% of Canadians say they want to buy from indie retailers more often. But I know not all of your clients are necessarily those you know, those mom and pop shops working at a kitchen table. I'm wondering if you can walk us through the breakdown between these indie retailers and these major brands that have adopted your platform. Yeah, absolutely. So that's a, an interesting uh, interesting aspect to Shopify's business model. We built the product initially to help small businesses and entrepreneurs. And what happened in around 2013 was some of those small businesses got really, really big on the platform. Uh, they grew to be 100 million or 200 million or 300 million dollar a year businesses. And they didn't leave Shopify. They didn't graduate off the of Shopify. In fact, they continued to run their business indefinitely on our platform. And so we began to think about how we can help larger merchants and merchants at scale also continue to grow and scale um, despite their unique challenges. And so in 2014, we announced Shopify Plus, which is our enterprise offering. And really, the idea was let's create a place for the most successful businesses and entrepreneurs on Shopify to graduate to. That's what it was built. It was built for these homegrown success stories. But then around the IPO, which was 2015, something else happened. This is really, uh, I think, really fascinating. Some larger brands, established brands, brands that either had an in-house e-commerce system or they were using some big enterprise e-commerce provider like SAP or Oracle, uh, or they never sold direct to consumer before, they began to sign up for Shopify Plus as well. And consistently over the last maybe 10 or 11 quarters, we've seen the majority of new Shopify Plus merchants come from outside the platform rather than homegrown stories. And so now we see brands from Procter & Gamble and Unilever and Johnson & Johnson and Gatorade and Clark Shoes and and, and these really massive iconic brands, Rebecca Minkoff, Steve Madden, Nicole Miller, all now use Shopify. And I think that tells you a lot about how some of these much larger brands are now beginning to act a lot more entrepreneurial. And so they're using Shopify to compete in this sort of new retail world. It's that entrepreneurial spirit. We can't talk about online shopping without talking about how to actually get that product from the warehouse it's in, from the merchant to the actual end consumer. One of the things that stuck out to me from your Black Friday survey was that consumers with household incomes over 75,000, the vast majority of them expect retailers to offer free shipping. How does the busy season affect order fulfillment for Shopify and its merchants? You've got a a lot of people drawn to cheap deals on your competitors or on Amazon, which can deliver in one day, can deliver in two days. How does Shopify compete with these type of major online retailers on that front when it comes to time and when it comes to delivery cost? Yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting discussion. So first of all, one thing that is important to understand about Shopify is that although we have a million small businesses and each of them are independent and they, in, in many cases, when you're purchasing from their stores, you wouldn't even know it's powered by Shopify. So we, we really do, we, we really are a brand behind the brands that we power. But what happens is when you aggregate our stores, you actually see, get something really, really big. So here's something that most people don't know. If you were just to look at our the, the Shopify stores in America, in the US, we would be the third largest online retailer in aggregate. Now, the reason that's important is because each of these merchants on their own, they can go and negotiate their own shipping rates or payment rates or capital rates if they need funding. But when we actually do it on their behalf, 
we actually have incredible economies of scale, which we then can transfer directly to those entrepreneurs. So we are now able to provide entrepreneurs and businesses, small businesses, the same type of pricing, the same type of features, functionality, scale that the biggest companies on the planet traditionally only were able to, to afford for themselves. And instead of keeping the economies of scale for, the, for ourselves, we're able to distribute it to them so they're able to better compete. And if you go back in Shopify's history, you saw when it came to payments, we went ahead and negotiated on their behalf and got them much better rates so they can compete. We did that with capital so we can actually help them with, with, with actual money so they can go and build their business. More recently, though, we realized that fulfillment and shipping remains a really challenging part of a business. And so we started by going to all the shipping companies and negotiating better shipping rates for these merchants. And we are able to do that. And then more recently, we announced the Shopify Fulfillment Network, which means that by aggregating a set of third-party logistic warehouses we can and, and using our software, we can actually help our entrepreneurs better compete with the largest companies from a consumer expectation perspective of fulfillment. Obviously, this is an area that Shopify is investing a lot in. Still, um, based on merchant feedback, it still remains sort of that number one pain point for merchants. I'm wondering how critical is this delivery and distribution, the strategy to Shopify's success, and how critical are these new fulfillment centers? It's, it's, it's really important. Again, what we're trying to do is if you go through every single pain point that an entrepreneur or a small business has when they're trying to build a business, we're trying to reduce those pain points. And obviously, e-commerce and physical commerce, our point of sale product, that was one. I mentioned payments and capital and, and, and as being others. But fulfillment remains something that on their own, it, will be more, it would be more challenging for them to compete with the expectations set by the large marketplaces. But there are a couple of nuances there. So one nuance is that uh, we, we have my, my wife and I have two very small children at home. And so when we buy diapers for our kids, we, we need it pretty quickly. But if I'm buying a beautiful pair of boots from Fry Boots, uh, which is a Shopify store, or uh, a pair of Allbirds sneakers, my expectations, I don't actually need it that day. We think two-day shipping at an affordable price would allow consumers to feel like they're getting good value and would allow the, the business behind them to feel like they're fulfilling based on those expectations of consumers. So I don't actually think we need to deliver in, in, the, in the same day way that some of the large marketplaces do where they're providing commoditized household goods. I think two-day shipping at an affordable price will be absolutely, will not only be accepted, but will actually be, will be important to these consumers. Right. So it's, it's not as critical when you're buying you know, a, a luxury item, essentially, like a nice to have instead of a must have. It's not as critical for Shopify to be in that race to be the fastest delivery system. That's exactly right. Absolutely. So two days, uh, you know, at a good price, we think is, is, is really amazing. And again, because we're aggregating so many stores, we feel like we can really compete and give these entrepreneurs and these businesses what they need to to really delight their their, their consumers. One of the other things you touched on was the ability to provide capital to some of the entrepreneurs. It's been about a year since Shopify has been doing this, which is essentially loaning small businesses money as long as they're spending it on inventory, on marketing, based on data, you can see if their sales trajectory is looking pretty good. I'm wondering why this strategy and how it's going so far. Well, uh, it's going really, really well. We've now given up more than $700 million worth of cash advances to small businesses. I think in Q3 alone, we gave up more than 130 or $140 million worth of cash advances. So it's going really well. Are you making a lot of money on that? It's a great business for us. Yeah, I mean, we, we have margin. We, we When we sort of look at how much money to, we make, we want to make sure that we're still providing competitive rates. But remember, most of these merchants, they cannot go to a bank and just take money. It's, it's really challenging for a small business or an entrepreneur to get capital. 
And the, the really cool part about this whole business is that with capital, what they use it for, they use it for marketing and they use it for inventory. So these are things that are directly correlated to the growth of their business, which we really love. But when you sort of zoom out for a second, you think of a capital or fulfillment or shipping or point of sale or e-commerce, what you begin to sort of see is what Shopify is becoming. And I think what we're, what we're becoming is the world's first retail operating system. Now, no one really looks for a retail operating system. People look to do one particular thing with Shopify. But over time, we are becoming the most important piece of software that these merchants, these 1 million merchants uh, use on a daily basis. And that really is the goal here. It isn't just about capital or just about fulfillment or just about e-commerce. It's about how can we help merchants compete with the largest companies, go really, really big and never have to go anywhere else. I mean, and presumably it also enables you to get another revenue stream from your existing merchants rather than having to chase, you know, constantly more and more entrepreneurs. And, and the Merchant Solutions revenue stream on Shopify, which are things like capital and payments and shipping, that's becoming a very meaningful part of our business. And the reason we like it so much is because it allows us to share in the upside of these merchants. It doesn't feel like we're charging them more money unless they themselves are selling more products. That is a really wonderful business model. I think that's the reason why um, merchants you know, love Shopify so much. Certainly, they have seen growth and 700 million through that program is a pretty remarkable number. As Shopify does grow, I know branding and trust are one of those critical parts of online shopping. You mentioned the Nike situation earlier where it decided to stop selling its products on Amazon. Part of this is coming from concerns about increased counterfeit products on unauthorized sellers. I'm wondering if Shopify feels the need to guard against counterfeits and how you do that in a busy season like the holiday season. We do. And it's something we take very seriously. Um, Now, there is... uh, important legal processes that, that that also help with that. The biggest one being the DMCA, the Digital Millennium Copyright Act, that, that really provides a path for anyone who want, who sees something online that they believe is counterfeit. They can easily submit a claim to that. But internally at Shopify, it's something we've taken very seriously for a very long time. And we do it two ways. One is we have a team of people that are constantly reviewing any submitted requests about potential counterfeit products. We also use machine learning and AI to ensure that nothing being sold on Shopify is counterfeit. Now, from time to time, something does slip in and we try to address that as quickly as possible. But on a consistent uh, real-time basis, we're constantly monitoring the platform to make sure that the things that are sold on Shopify are allowed to be sold. And if they're not, we delist those stores immediately. Interesting to think about it as one of those larger challenges that digital merchants have to grapple with. When we're talking about larger challenges of digital multinational companies as a whole, I wanted to ask you one question about taxes. You know, As we go into the new year, the OECD has some new proposals on rules taxing digital companies, essentially trying to figure out a new tax regime for digital players that don't necessarily pay tax in the jurisdictions where they sell products and make money. Something like that could obviously affect Shopify. What's Shopify's position on digital taxes for multinationals? I can't speak on behalf of, of, of other multinationals, but I think what's most important to us, because so many of our merchants are small business and entrepreneurs, when it comes to taxation, clarity is going to be most important. I think one of the issues that comes up a lot when you begin to talk about the, an internet tax or whatever the whatever the term is that's currently being used is it's confusing. And I think what entrepreneurs require is clarity. 
And the nice part about if there is clarity, it means we can build software to help these entrepreneurs. So for example, if a particular business on Shopify is at some point in the next couple of years required to pay taxes in a particular jurisdiction, and we understand how that works, it's systematized, there's clarity around it. What we then can do is we can then write software to help offload that work. So we handle it and the entrepreneur doesn't spend their entire life figuring out where to file taxes, but actually spends their time building their business. So I would say clarity is most important to it, but it'll be interesting to see where that goes. We obviously monitor that very closely and have a team of people inside of Shopify that are watching that. But I, I'd be curious to know where it goes. But I think clarity is going to be the most important part of that for our, our customers. Certainly the tax tax codes are complicated enough. Filing taxes is complicated enough when you're a small business. It is interesting to think about in this context of digital businesses becoming more and more important. Retail e-commerce is up 25% in Canada so far this year alone. Where does Shopify fit into this narrative? I know you guys have also recently invested in Shopify studios and you are putting forth a lot of content that is showcasing entrepreneurs and what and what have you. You know, how do you see this narrative emerging and why the investment in content? Well, a couple of things. We think entrepreneurship is really important. Uh, we think entrepreneurship is the epicenter and, and frankly, the foundation of, of, of most strong economies. In, in one of our uh, most recent studies, we, f- we found out that Shopify merchants employ more than 1.4 million full-time employees. So we are re- like entrepreneurs are job creators. There's no doubt about that. But even beyond that, we think that independent businesses are really important for a thriving economy. And in some ways, you know, you mentioned Amazon earlier. I mean, Amazon is building an empire. We really view Shopify as we're sort of arming the rebels. We think more independence, more entrepreneurs is really, really good. So let's just park that there for a second. I like the arming the rebels. I can't (laughs) lie. And that's true. That's what we've been doing. We've been helping small business compete and in some cases beat those big hegemonic corporations and do so using great software, great ingenuity and and being entrepreneurial. So the issue, though, is that for a lot of people, entrepreneurship has been out of reach for a long time. The reason it was out of reach was the technology, the software, the requirements to be an entrepreneur was expensive and or complicated. And we feel like over the last 15 years or so, Shopify has really made a dent in reducing that difficulty, reducing that barrier to entry into entrepreneurship. So that today, someone that is an entrepreneur that wants to start a business, anyone in the world will likely do so with Shopify. And that is wonderful. However, if you go a little bit further up, uh, you know, uh, above the entrepreneur into sort of the aspirational entrepreneur, someone that has a crazy idea in the shower in the morning, what you begin to see is that some people just hesitate to take that leap into entrepreneurship. They don't know entrepreneurs. Maybe they don't have any entrepreneur influences in their life. Maybe there's no one in their family who are entrepreneurs. And so the idea really is that we want to inspire the creation of more entrepreneurs. And we think one of the ways to do that is by creating incredibly inspiring, thoughtful content, which if someone watches, they may think about trying their hand at starting their own business, maybe taking that idea that they had in the shower and going to a coffee shop, you know, later that day, opening up their laptop and trying their hand at building a business. The cost of failure of starting a business in, in 2019 is trending very close to zero. I mean, again, for $29, you can build a multi-billion dollar brand on Shopify and people have. So the idea of Shopify Studios is really for us to create create content that inspires a brand new segment of the population, maybe a hobbyist who should think of a commercialize their hobby or someone who makes beautiful jewelry at their kitchen table for their grandchildren and now should think about creating uh, a beautiful you know, business around that. We want to encourage more people to be entrepreneurs. And we haven't 
really found great content in the world that encourages it. I, I think a lot of the entrepreneurial content out there feels very like a competition, like a, a reality TV show. But we haven't really seen great content that makes people feel inspired to be an entrepreneur and also creates community around that. So that's really what Studios is about. To your point, though, about the Canadian landscape, you're right, it's growing quite a bit. But remember, e-commerce as a percentage of total retail in Canada is still below 15%. So it's still quite small relative to the general retail landscape. And that's changing rapidly, which is exciting. But in Canada in particular, which is such a large uh, sort of surface area of land, we actually think that Canada as a, ge- as a geography is perfect for e-commerce because, you know, I'm in Montreal right now for the day and I'm, I'm sitting literally in, in, on Sherbrooke Street in downtown Montreal, right across from McGill University, which, where I went to school. And there's all this amazing, incredible boutiques here. But when I go back to Ottawa or I go visit some friends of mine in uh, northern Quebec, I may not have access to some of these amazing brands. But with e-commerce, once all these physical retailers and brands begin to move to e-commerce, I now can purchase anything I want from wherever I am. And these retailers immediately begin to expand their total addressable market. Move from, you know, those walk by traffic on Sherbrooke to unlimited, right? But then that brings into the question, you know, the distribution challenges that Canada faces just based on its geography. Yeah. And, and I think uh, there's some really great solutions for that. One of that is is eventually when we decide to do the Shopify Fulfillment Network, we bring it to Canada. That will be quite helpful. So there, there are ways to do that. Now, that being said, we've worked very closely with people at Canada Post and Purelater to figure out how we can make shipping and fulfillment easier over, over many years. We've, we've already made it cheaper, but we've also been working with them to figure out how it could be easier for Canadian small businesses to ship coast to coast to coast. And that continues to evolve. But I'm, I'm really hopeful. And, and more importantly, I think that there's one company in the world that truly owns social, and that's Facebook. And there's one company in the world that really owns search, and that's Google. And I really think there's going to be one company that will own entrepreneurship. And I think that's going to be Shopify. So that's the reason why we're spending so much time talking about this and also creating content around entrepreneurship. Harley, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. I really appreciate it. That was Harley Finkelstein, Chief Operating Officer of Shopify. Thank you to all of you for listening to Down to Business. We'd love to get to know you better. You can help by filling out a 30-second online survey, I swear, just 30 seconds, at survey.libsyn.com slash downtobusiness. Again, that's survey.libsyn.com slash downtobusiness. A big thank you as well to the Down to Business team, music and production by Bryce Hall, and editing by Yadula Hussain and Nicole McAdam. Tech reporter James McLeod also contributed to this episode. If you liked it, if you like our podcast, please share it with a friend and rate us on your podcast app. I'm Emily Jackson, and until next week, you can get all your business news at financialpost.com.